2: Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday as we begin to close out, well, the very first week of 2024. Already a lot coming at us this week, and brace yourself because this will probably be the slowest week of the year. So get your rest in and buckle up. This is your go-to for hot liberty. A safe space for all of us, thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. Brand new year, new social media feeds. Monica Crowley underscore on Instagram and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. You can also shoot me an email. Let me know what's on your mind at monica crowley podcast at gmail dot com. Okay, I am set to announce really huge shows for next week. All right? Next week, we are going to be joined by the one and only Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner is going to join me and us here on the Monica Crowley podcast. She has told me she is a huge fan of mine, which is incredibly flattering, and I am so honored to have her support. She is going to join us to talk about a whole range of issues including transitioning, the trans agenda, the gender agenda. She's going to talk to us about uh, biological males competing in women's sports. And remember, before she became Caitlyn, she was Bruce Jenner and an absolute athletic legend. She has some very important things she wants to say, and she has been saying, but we're going to really plumb all of this with her, including the question of whether or not trans is a mental illness. Guys, there's a huge difference between Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner at the age of 60 and the left pushing this radical gender agenda on kindergartners, which is what they are doing now. Caitlyn Jenner has some really powerful opinions on this that we all need to hear. So we're going to keep a very open mind and have Caitlyn Jenner on the show next week. Also next week, Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to be testifying before Congress two days straight. And right after his testimony, we're going to be joined by one of his most persistent, adamant, and honest critics. Dr. Naomi Wolf is going to be here. And she's got a lot to say about Fauci and where we are in this whole COVID nightmare. Is it over? Not by a long shot. And when we talk about 2024 and the things that the deep state have up their sleeve, nobody knows for sure, right? We're all braced. It could very well be another pandemic, something much worse this time, a virus much more virulent. We don't know. But we need to understand what happened in 2020 through this very day, all of the lies, all of the conspiracies, everything that they sprung on us, which we are now beginning to see in full truth. Naomi Wolf has been right there at the vanguard from the very beginning. She and her team have unearthed so many disturbing facts, so many disturbing truths over the last couple of years. She and her team have been on it. She's been on the show a couple of times. I'm honored to call her a friend now. She's going to join us next week, right after the Fauci testimony. The Monica Crowley podcast, Cooking with Gas. <laughs> as they say, as we kick off 2024. Okay, today we're going to speak with Christina Bob. She is one of President Trump's top attorneys. We're going to break down all of the legal cases as we begin to move forward here in this year. Uh, Obviously, they're all bogus, uh, but President Trump still has to fight them as he has to fight everything. Christina Bob is going to be here to break it all down for us as well. Um, Also today, I want to talk about Also today, I want to talk about the two issues central to the survival of this country. Illegal immigration and election integrity. Those are the two main pillars for any country's survival and an ability to function as a free nation. A border and sovereignty and clean elections. We're going to talk about both of those today because those are the issues that are going to frame this entire year. Are we going to have a black swan event? Absolutely. I guarantee it. Nobody knows what it's going to be. But those two issues, election integrity and illegal immigration and the border, those are the two pillar issues for this election, this year, and the country going forward. Because without those two things... Without a secure border and control over your immigration process and system, and without election integrity and clean elections, you have no more America. And we're already hanging by a thread because of those two issues. So today, I really want to get into those issues in a very intense way because I I want to frame the whole year by starting out by talking about those two issues, And then in a little bit today, I also want to talk about the lust for power and the ideology that animates all of this and how the Claudine Gay, Harvard, DEI debacle illustrates all of this. Okay? So we, this is a really big show because we're going to tie a lot of big threads together here and frame the rest of the year. But first, the Monica memo. Our country is being intentionally destroyed from within. Our border is purposefully wide open, and we are being invaded. Our cities are crime-ridden hellholes where nobody is safe. Our colleges and universities are cesspools of radicalism and hate. We have more veterans and, and people than we can count who are homeless and on the streets. We've got about two-thirds of the American people living paycheck to paycheck. The Biden regime and the system are destroying our energy independence. We're printing money like crazy. And we elected a new speaker late last year, and the first thing on his agenda, and he's a good man, but the first thing that he proposed, and and the Republican Party as an institution was all behind, was $100 billion to Ukraine and Israel. Okay. So, is it still that way? I don't know. But that was the first thing out of the box that the new speaker and the GOP establishment thought would be a good idea. The American people, you and I, are really mad. And we have righteous anger here. Okay? Nobody is going to be making excuses for any of these people anymore. We haven't been for a long time, but we are so far past the point of no return, guys. Do you know that yesterday, we hit the $34 trillion mark for national debt? $34 trillion in the national debt. We have hit the wall. Now, we hit the wall a long time ago, but this $34 trillion uh, mark This really woke a lot of people up, or should anyway, because we are so far past the point of no return. They've got to stop the spending. We're in a very deep hole. I don't know that we can get out of it, but you have to start somewhere, which means stop the spending today. Not another penny for any other foreign countries until we get the spending under control, And until we get the border under control, not one more dime should go to any other foreign enterprise until the American people and our border are taken care of first. Steve Bannon on Bannon's War Room. He's such a phenomenal thought leader. I was on War Room uh, with his co-host Natalie Winters this week. Please go check that out. Bannon has been saying now for a couple of weeks, shut the border or shut the government. He is 100% right. At this point, there there is no more fear, or there should be no more fear, among our Republican representatives and, frankly, anybody else, and certainly the rest of us. There should be no more fear in shutting down the government. And I know, guys, you know, the politicians, and there are exceptions, of course, like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was just on the show. Uh, there are exceptions to the rule, and thank God for them. But for the most part, these GOPers are still so afraid. They're so afraid of what the New York Times is going to say or being crucified on MSNBC for taking the right stand and the right action. And when I look at the GOP presidential field, over eight years ago, Donald Trump came down that escalator and announced for president. At that moment, he became an existential threat. You know what else he did? He did all of the political blocking for every other Republican, from governors to senators to members of the House to your local Republican dog catcher. He showed how it was done you be fearless, you punch back, you, you counter their nonsense and their lies and their ideology at every turn. You take no prisoners and you show no mercy. You stand up to the fake news, you call them out every single chance you get. You push back and you fight back and you punch back. So Donald Trump did every other Republican and every other independent-minded person a huge favor and continues to do that by taking all of the incoming and then demonstrating how to fight the incoming, how to push back against the incoming. He stands up and takes it all so that those who are coming up behind him can see his example, benefit from his example, benefit from his fight, and do it themselves. That is exactly what Donald Trump has done and what he continues to do. He is out there showing everybody through his example and through his own strength and power how to do it. And then he expected everybody coming up behind him to do it because he's taking all the fire and he's absorbing all of the attacks, so he's making it easy. It's almost like a boat creating a wake, right, in its path. The boat creates a wake of calmer water so that if you're a smaller boat coming up behind the boat, you can just travel in the wake and have an easier time of it. That's what Trump is doing, and yet, very, very few Republicans have actually taken him up on the offer of traveling in his wake because they are even too afraid to do that. So they all sit there and they cower and they go along with what the deep state or the establishment or the military-industrial complex wants because they refuse to take Donald Trump up on his offer of making it easier for them. Again, there are exceptions like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates. you know, they're all traveling in his wake and standing up and fighting back in a really strong way. But as I look at the Republican presidential field, it occurred to me that none of them have taken up Donald Trump on their offer with the exception of one. Only one GOP presidential candidate has actually learned this lesson and is executing very well. And that is Vivek Ramaswamy, who has been on this show, and he is a friend. Vivek is the only one traveling in Trump's wake smart enough to learn the lesson that Donald Trump has taken all these slings and arrows for him so that he can stand up and fight back in a really powerful, fearless, strong kind of way. He's the only one doing it and I wanna roll this clip From Vivek yesterday in Iowa, where the Washington Post, some stupid girl reporter, asks Vivek, Will you condemn white supremacy? I want you to listen to his answer because he provided a masterclass in how to handle the lying press and everybody else lying about you, trying to set you up to get a headline in order to smear and attack you in a false way. He is the only one who has learned the lesson absorbed it from Donald Trump and is executing. Listen. I mean, what this guy, who are
1: you with? Washington Post. All right. So (laughs) potato, potato. Okay. Of course, I condemn any form of vicious racial discrimination in this country. But I think that the presumption of your question is fundamentally based on a falsehood that that really is the main form of racial discrimination we see in this country today. Institutionalized racism is institutionalized racial discrimination that we see that doesn't come from somehow discriminating against people on the basis of some tenet of white supremacy. It's based on affirmative action. It's based on actually discriminating against people on the color of their skin in a way that's actually institutionalized today. Was there a point in our history, at points in our prior national history, where there have been vicious forms of anti-black or anti-brown discrimination throughout this country after the Civil War and otherwise? Yes. But you're looking in the rearview mirror and using that to pose a question today that is so far removed from what the reality is in America today. This myth of white supremacy, the closest you can find is Jussie Smollett, where you all were actually speaking of trust in the media, jumping up and down over some false narrative. The best way you're able to find your best instance of white supremacy was a guy who was actually paying his other fellow people to be actually staging something. And so stop picking on this farce of some figment that exists at some infinitesimally small fringe of the American public today to open our eyes to the actual real threats that we face. And I think that it's frankly questions and framings like that that has caused the American public to lose all trust in the mainstream media, I'm sorry to say, for good reason. You I'm not I'm not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits the fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost. Trust, and I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. You want to know what the best way is to end discrimination on the basis of race? Stop discriminating on the basis of race. Do that, and we're going to move this country forward. And I don't care whether you're black or white or brown or anything in between, that's how we're going to unite this country. You people have been responsible for dividing this country to a breaking point, creating a projection of national division. I meet people from the south side of Chicago to meetings like this one of every shade of melanin, multiple from man to woman, doesn't make a difference, who are hungry for reviving unity in this country. And you, with your catechism that you try to get as politicians to whatever fake headline you're going to print on the basis of this conversation tomorrow, that's what's dividing this country for a break, to a breaking point. Shame on you look people in the eye and tell them what you've actually failed to tell them for the last five years own the accountability for your own failures as the media that's how we rebuild trust in this country and until then i don't have a lot of patience to play the games
2: boom boom this is how it's done and kudos to vivek for being smart enough and the guy's brilliant smart enough to absorb the lesson that Donald Trump has provided to all of them. But Vivek is the only non-coward here who is willing to take Trump up on it and actually execute. He's the one who has learned the lesson and is leveraging it properly. Good for Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy would be an excellent press secretary for Donald Trump. I'm just saying, excellent. Okay, let's move on to illegal immigration. So, as Bannon has put out there, shut the border or shut the government? Amen. Yesterday, we had 60 House Republicans led by Speaker Mike Johnson. Again, a good man, but let's see what he does here. Does he have the cojones to actually shut the government if the Biden administration will not shut the border? And, of course, they will not because this is the intentional destruction of the country. So yesterday, six House GOPers went down to Eagle Pass, Texas, which is bearing the brunt of this. Now, they're coming across the entire length of the border, including California. You don't hear any of that. Uh, New Mexico, you don't hear much of that. Arizona, you hear more. Um, But certainly Texas and in particular Eagle Pass and that sector bearing the brunt of what is going on. So 60 House Republicans went down there, they held a press conference in Eagle Pass at the border, made a lot of very strong statements, which is uh, great, but we need more than a photo op here. We are so far past the point of no return, it's like what I said with the national debt, we amassed over $2 trillion just in the last two months on the national debt. So again, very far past the point of no return here on the border as well. So this has to be more than just a photo opportunity by these House Geo peers. And I was heartened to see, I think it was Jim Jordan yesterday put out a tweet. Uh, he was one of the 60 who went down there saying, shut the border or shut the government. We control the money. That is correct. Everybody forgets this. If you were in the House of Representatives and you were a Republican, you were driving the bus because you control the purse strings. They always lose sense of their own power. Democrats never do. But Republicans, oh, yeah, they, we control the money. Ah, uh, yeah. Shut the government if they do not shut the border. If you want to know the latest stats, December, and we just got these numbers, December was the worst month on record for illegal immigration, with more than 300,000 border crossings just in one month. That capped what was by far the worst year on record. Biden and and all of his lying flunkies from Corinne Jean-Pierre to Alejandro Mayorkas they're running around out there you know trying to either ignore the crisis or they're lying about it and they're insisting that Republicans are all insurrectionists right what is happening at the border is the actual insurrection what is happening at the southern and the northern border because there are terrorists coming across the northern border almost every day you never hear about that that is the actual insurrection. And we don't know. I mean, we've got official numbers here. 3.2 million illegal border crossings in fiscal year 2023, which ended in September, easily surpassing fiscal year 2022 for the most ever in the history of the country. We have never seen anything like this. By some estimates, there have been more than 5 million gotaways since Biden took office, including God knows how many terrorists, drug dealers, human traffickers. We have no idea. And these are all low ball estimates, guys. The other day, President Trump was talking about 12 to 15 million since Biden came in. That could be correct. Maybe it's way off. Nobody knows. Maybe it's way off on the low side. We don't know. The news about December's record-breaking border numbers came on the heels of the release of November stats, which the Biden team quietly posted the Friday before Christmas because they don't want anybody focused on this. Biden single-handedly and deliberately created this crisis of unimaginable proportions. You'll recall that President Obama, and remember, Joe Biden was his VP, people forget that, uh, Obama's DHS Secretary, Jay Johnson, had previously said that if you had 1,000 border crossings per day, that constituted a crisis. Now you know how many are coming across? 20,000 per day. Twenty. 20- thousand people per day. And it's all because Biden reversed everything that Donald Trump did. Trump had a handle on the illegal immigration problem and enforced the border. He basically had the problem solved. Was it perfect? Of course not. You know, border crossers will always find a way, but he did, he eliminated all of the incentives of coming here. And Biden came in And reversed all of it, including border wall construction, deportations, remain in Mexico, which ended the practice of catch and release and forced illegals to wait for their court hearings in their country of origin, including Mexico. And Biden also mandated a functional shutdown of ICE enforcement going as far as implementing what they call protected areas, which ICE is not permitted to enter. Sort of like in Europe, the no-go zones for the Muslim communities, cops and and other law enforcement can't go into the no-go zones because of cultural reasons. This is what we're facing, okay? So, given this unprecedented invasion on our southern and northern borders— We've got to have leaders who are willing to consider all kinds of dramatic and drastic measures because we are in a drastic situation. So there's some talk of invoking the 1807 Insurrection Act, because this is an actual insurrection, to try to stave off further disaster. There is some talk about shutting the government. They better do something. Because this is completely out of control, and the country is drowning, and is drowning fast. Again, everything you see in every direction is intentional. It is the intentional destruction of the country, and they are deliberately pushing us far past the point of no return, whether it's economically with the national debt and the out-of-control spending, whether it's the border invasion Whether it's the Soros DAs unleashing violent mayhem on the streets of of all of our cities, all of it is of a piece, and all of it is by design to implode the country. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to uh, just button up a final point here on the border invasion, which is there are so many huge issues coming at us from the Epstein list to the economic situation to all of it. But the illegal immigration invasion at the border, this is really the biggest of them all. So I want to just button up a final point on this and then get to a major victory on election integrity because we got to take our wins where we can get them. Sit tight. Okay. Welcome back. Um, again, all of this is deliberate. And if it weren't, you would have seen a course correction in policy, certainly on the border. And they've done none of that. In fact, they've doubled down. So what you are seeing is, you know, it used to be the managed decline of the country. Now it is the accelerated decline. Steve Bannon has talked about this as well. And it's the perfect phrase for this. This is the accelerated decline of the country. And while they are doing this, while they are deliberately destroying America, they are lying to your face. They can get away with it because they have the protection of the press. When you have the protection of the press, you can literally get away with lying to the American people because there are no fact checks. uh, There's nobody there holding anybody accountable and amplifying the lies and the fact that they are lies. So everybody from Biden to Harris— to the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, to the Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Uh, all of these people are DEI uh, affirmative action uh, selections, including the president, because you got to have representation for dopes. But they're all in there because they check boxes, including the dope box, And they're out there lying to your face the way Claudine Gay at Harvard lied to everybody's face about her scholarship, her integrity, everything. They check boxes because of their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, all of it, check in boxes. And so you have all of these uh, communist mediocrities in office. You've got, you know what you've got? You've got idiocracy, If you haven't seen that movie, and it's a really stupid movie, okay, I think it stars one of the Wilson brothers, Um, watch it though, try to get through it. It's not a great movie, but try to get through it because I saw it recently, last year, and it is a dumb movie, but it really points to the essence of idiocracy, which is pretty much where we are. So, all of these people who are mediocracies, they're still wielding a lot of power and creating a lot of damage while lying to your face with no accountability because there's nobody in the press who is going to press uh, for the truth or do any kind of fact check. So Alejandro Mayorkas has repeatedly told us that the border is secure when your own eyes, thanks to Bill Malusian at Fox and uh, Steve Bannon's War Room and the reporters down there for that show, there are reporters down there doing this, but the big three networks, the other cable networks, they're not doing this. So the American people might have some sense but they don't have a full picture of what is going on at the border. And they're constantly being lied to. So Mayorkas, Jean-Pierre, Biden, Harris, they've all told us the border is secure and it's all just an Orwellian lie. Here is Mayorkas this week talking about how Mexico is doing a bang-up job in helping us enforce the border. Listen.
0: So Mexico is doing uh, a great uh, deal. Uh, We were uh, there in Mexico City meeting with President Lopez Obrador last week, Secretary Blinken, and I joined by the president's Homeland Security advisor, Liz Sherwood Randall. Uh, They have a migration challenge themselves as does colombia as does ecuador as does costa rica as does panama as does guatemala this is a regional problem that is challenging our entire hemisphere but we spoke with mexico last week about what we think they can do to assist us in enforcing uh, their borders So that we do not see the level of migration, irregular migration, at our border. And in fact, we've started to see the results of their increased cooperation and our increased collaboration.
2: Actually, Alejandro, um, he and Blinken went down to Mexico to talk to the Mexicans and they came away with nothing. It was a diplomatic disaster. You know, President Trump picks up the phone, calls the Mexican president, boom, remain in Mexico, goes into place, and they start enforcing their side of the border. But Biden and Blinken and Mayorkas are so weak, and they they don't want Mexico to enforce a border. That's the real point, right? So they go down there for the cameras for show to make it look like they're actually trying when they're not. And the whole thing was an abject disaster. But Mayorkas is lying to you about Mexico is doing a great job enforcing on their side. Of course they're not. They want all of their dregs of humanity, their criminals, their murders, their rapists, their drug cartels, uh, controlling the border and flowing into America. So it becomes our problem and not theirs. Here is Mayorkas again. Uh, This time, he is not blaming himself or Joe Biden or any of the policies that they've adopted. Here he is blaming climate change for the crisis at the border, but I thought there was no crisis at the border.
0: The greatest number of displaced people not only at our southern border, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but across the globe. You know, I am involved in bilateral and multilateral meetings with my counterparts from foreign countries in Europe, uh, in Asia, in the Indo-Pacific, all over the world, and migration, the challenge of displaced people is a subject that comes up in every single conversation. We have the effects of climate change, poverty, increasing level of authoritarianism.
2: Ah, Climate change, poverty, gross inequality. Again, everything is the communist agenda. Climate change is the communist agenda. DEI is Marxism. This is all Marxism. This is the ideology driving all of this poverty, of course, inequality, everything except their policy changes from the Trump years where Trump had a huge success in actually enforcing the border and stopping illegal immigration or slowing it to a trickle, right? So this is what uh, revolutionaries do. They constantly lie. They have the protection of the press to get away with those lies, and they just pile lies on top of lies. They're gaslighting you. As they have been through the beginning, um, here is—and I apologize in advance for the sound on this—but here is a reporter asking Joe Biden, "Hey man, are you going to do anything about the southern border? Record number of immigrants coming in." And Biden is like, "Well, I guess we got to do something." Listen. <laughs> So again, um, Joe Biden is a corrupt, demented hack. He is a puppet. The puppeteers behind them, both Obamas, Barack and Michelle, the entire Obama machine, they are all running this because they they accelerated the grand project to destroy the country when they were in office. They lost four years under Trump, who brought the country back. This is why they're working with all speed Uh, to destroy the country. So Biden gassing around, well, I guess we got to do something. No, no, that, of course, is a lie. And you have to ask, how much of this does he actually know? How much is he aware The guy is out to lunch most of the time. He's certainly a willing participant in all of this, but what are they really showing him? I mean, the guy went to St. Croix for a week after spending Christmas at uh, Camp David. He comes back from St. Croix with a raging sunburn and, and it looked like sunglasses. So clearly the guy fell asleep in the sun and nobody around him, no Secret Service, no Dr. Jill, Nobody around him stopped and thought like, hey, man, the president fell asleep in the sun. Should we wake him up? Does he need sunscreen? Nobody cares about this cat. Nobody. He is just a puppet to execute the destruction of the country. All right. I want to switch gears here. Um, And we are going to talk to Christina Bob about uh, President Trump and his legal stuff that he's fighting, also a deliberate destruction of our legal system, the judicial system, and everything else. Uh, But before we do, we got a big win on election integrity. Again, guys, we got to take our wins wherever we can get them. And this was a biggie. Um, But also, election integrity paired with immigration, illegal immigration, and the border, those are the two pillars without which you have no country. This is why the Democrats and the left and the globalists have been attacking, you know, creating a wide open border and a flood of tens of millions of illegals to dilute the country and take us down and overwhelm our systems, as well as overwhelming our, our election systems as well. It's all about overwhelming everything, economically, the border, the elections, all of it. Overwhelm it in order to collapse it. Well, we did get one win. And, you know, last year on this show, we had the phenomenal Catherine Engelbrecht. She joined us and she was just terrific. She has been fighting for election integrity for a long time. And if you guys did not hear that interview with her, go back into the Monica Crowley podcast archives and go listen to that interview because she is phenomenal. She's a tireless fighter. Just as a left are tireless, we need to be. And she's one of them. She's been doing this for years. And she, on this show, was talking about this exact case. She actually won. True the Vote, her group, they won. It takes persistence. It takes relentlessness, which is what the left has, which we don't have. We lose once and we're like, oh, okay, and we cower away, right? We like lose an election in the face of massive fraud and we slink away. We just accept the result and we slink away and they know we're going to do it, which feeds into them continuing to do it. But Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote have been at this relentlessly for years, and they won a big case. Here is this from their press release. True the Vote defeats Fair Fight, Stacey Abrams, Mark Elias, and the Biden Department of Justice in a landmark election case in Georgia federal court. Here's what they say, True the Vote declares a decisive triumph in their legal battle against Stacey Abrams' fair fight. That's Stacey Abrams' election group. It's called fair fight. Again, Orwellian language, guys, right? Legal teams led by Mark Elias, who is the point man for the Democrats and the left in torpedoing our elections, rigging them, stealing them. Mark Elias is brilliant at that. And where's the Mark Elias on our side? Good question. But Catherine Engelbrecht comes close, okay? So defeated legal teams led by Mark Elias and the Biden Department of Justice. A federal court in the Northern District of Georgia today, this is yesterday, affirmed that citizens have the right to lawfully petition their government in support of election integrity without fear of persecution or prosecution. In a resounding vindication, True the Vote successfully defended its actions of December 2020, aiding Georgia citizens in filing elector challenges based on data showing over 364,000 voters appeared to be ineligible to vote due to change in residency. This victory is a testament to every American's constitutional right to free speech and the importance of actively participating in the electoral process. Which, by the way, is what the left is always screaming for, right? Oh, don't disenfranchise black voters with these election integrity laws and all of the rest. We want as many people engaged in the process as possible. That's what they say, but they really don't mean it as they're stealing elections, right? I want you to listen to Catherine Engelbrecht's um, direct statement yesterday because it's so powerful. Go.
3: Hey, everybody. It's Katherine Engelbrecht with True the Vote, bringing you a great bit of breaking news. We've just learned from the Northern District Court of Georgia that the judge has rendered a decision in the case Fair Fight v. True the Vote. And that decision is that we have been fully vindicated. Today is a great day for America. Today is a great day for trustworthy elections. You see, we were sued by Fair Fight back in December of 2020 when we endeavored to help Georgia citizens file lawful elector challenges, basically asking their counties to take a look at the voter records because it would seem, based on data that we could provide to them, uh, it would seem that many of those voters, in fact, some 364,000, according to our data, had moved from either the county or state where that voter was registered, and so. In so doing, we drew a lawsuit from Fair Fight, and we have been um, battling it out for three years. Today, I am thrilled to tell you that the court has decided in our favor in full. We've beaten Stacy Abrams, Fair Fight, Mark Elias, and his law firm, and his gaggle of attorneys, and the Department of Justice. Thank you to all of you who stood so steadfastly by us through these tumultuous times and there there were some difficult moments along this journey, many many changes, but we have uh, continued to stand stand strong, knowing that it is it is right. It is not only right, it is necessary for citizens to stand for lawful elections, for trustworthy elections. And today is a great example of why we should continue. Justice has been served. Thank you all. God bless each and every one of you. And God bless America.
2: Amazing. Just amazing. And then True the Vote says, uh, True the Vote remains steadfast in its mission to support trustworthy elections and looks forward to assisting citizens in future such lawful efforts. If you want to support them, please go to org. They're really a worthwhile, um, very honest group actually fighting for clean elections in this country. So what she has done here single-handedly is, for the voters of Georgia, and really it's a victory for everybody, is to allow citizens to question their elections, to file suits, to raise their voices when they think that there is fraud. Katherine Engelbrook and Truth the Vote, they are heroes of the republic for doing this and sticking with it at great cost to themselves their organization and their reputations etc because we all come under withering attack when we stand up for what's right but they want a biggie here so this is great now these uh, 364,000 voters in Georgia who were ineligible to vote because they changed their residency moved out of state etc but still voted those votes I mean, I I forget how many Trump quote-unquote lost by. I think it was like 10,000, 12,000, 14,000, something like that. So obviously, Trump won Georgia. Can we just say it out loud? This kind of stuff needs to be fixed in the next 10 months or we're going to face the same things. And while we enjoy and appreciate these legal wins and they're all incredibly important, Well, none of it's going to matter if all the same crap is still in place for this November. You know, I don't want to be, uh, like, uh, uh, talking about these kind of legal cases after November again. You got to fix this crap now before the election. And that's why you need different leadership at the top, not just a different president, obviously, but you need different governors, different secretaries of state, all of these secretaries of state, even in red states like Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, they're, they're, uh, so many of them are corrupt or cowardly or weak, and they won't stand up and fight. Or they're straight up Marxists, like you're seeing in Colorado, like you're seeing in Maine, like you're seeing in all these states that are trying to throw Trump off the ballot. We're going to talk to Christina Bob about, they they just filed at SCOTUS at the Supreme Court yesterday, so we'll talk to her about that as well, about uh, Trump pushing back on all of this, but thank God for Engelbrecht and True the Vote. They're doing right by us, but we don't want to have to be talking about legal cases, even with wins after the next election. We want to not have these kinds of legal cases because we have fixed all of this before the election. So let's get on it, shall we? All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, Christina Bob, one of President Trump's attorneys, will break down all of this and more with her straight ahead. <laughs> Okay, guys, welcome back. And I am so happy to welcome back to the Monica Crowley podcast, Christina Bob, my very good friend. I'm so delighted to start the year with her. Christina is an attorney for President Donald J. Trump. Previously, she was a host and correspondent with One America's News, which I, I mean, I always watched her there. She was phenomenal. And she reported almost exclusively on election integrity, which Guys, we just covered on this show earlier today on my monologue. She began her legal career in the United States Marine Corps, so whoa and simplify. She served as a defense counsel representing Marines and sailors in court-martial and administrative separation hearings. So she's a smarty pants as well as a tremendous public servant. She's also the author of the new book, and she was here last year talking about it. It's called Stealing Your Vote the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. So we will talk to her about that as well. Christina, welcome back.
4: Thank you so much, Monica. I'm so excited to be here and so grateful for the opportunity.
2: Uh, Well, it's always so lovely to talk to you and and to have you here. And I hope you'll come back throughout the year because there's going to be a lot (laughs) of legal developments (laughs) with regard to President Trump. So let's start with, and I do want to handle some election integrity issues with you yeah. as well, because you did write Stealing Your Vote, and we just talked about Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Votes. Oh, huge, I love them. They're yeah, wonderful. I mean, huge triumph yesterday in Georgia federal court. So we'll yeah. talk to you about that as well. But I want to start with uh, President Trump's legal cases and where we are on that. Yesterday, we saw uh, President Trump, you guys, the legal team, filed with the Supreme Court on the ballot access question, because you've had all of these states from Colorado and the Colorado Supreme Court, but also Maine and Michigan. You've had others attempt to remove President Trump from the state ballots there for 20, for the primaries and obviously then for the general. Can you talk to us a little bit about where we stand on that?
4: Right. So the parties have filed, parties meaning uh, President Trump's team, and earlier, I think it was either last week or Last week, um, the Colorado Republican Party also filed a brief on that, requesting uh, cert, requesting the Supreme Court to hear the case. So we're waiting for the Supreme Court to actually take the case, um, which I expect they will uh, fairly quickly. I think I think yesterday was the last day to file, and that's when President Trump's team filed. Um, so once the Supreme Court takes the case, then we'll be again off to the races on this issue, and the parties will um, file file their. Uh, motions, and the Supreme Court will take it, and then we'll hear what the Supreme Court has to say, hopefully.
2: Well, yeah, I was on Fox News last night on Laura Ingram's show, and I was saying, you know, we, we all anticipate and hope that the Supreme Court will do the right thing here and uh, dismiss this just out of hand as un-American and clearly unconstitutional, right. and then that ruling will apply to all 50 states, so it will yeah. put the kibosh on any other state trying this, Right. I, that's exactly what's going to happen I think. Um and quite honestly I don't even think it's going to be a
4: close ruling. I don't I do not believe for a moment that this is going to be a 5-4 ruling. Um I don't even think it'll be 6-3. I I, on it, I have said and I know people are like, "How? You're crazy." I, I genuinely would not be surprised um if this was a unanimous decision. The law is wow. so clear on this. Um And if you look at all of the cases that we've had across the country on this, these are not the first two cases. Um, They're just the case. These are just the states that have have decided to take him off. But I think there's been at least a dozen, about a dozen or so, um, maybe two dozen even um, that all have gone in Donald Trump's favor. You have Michigan courts, Minnesota, New Hampshire. And these are not red states. These are blue states. And throughout the whole process, everyone's saying, no, he's on the ballot, he's on the ballot, he's on the ballot. And you get this one little rogue uh, all Democrat court in Colorado to say, and even three of the Democrats in Colorado dissented right, Um, on the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court, Um, so the most American judges are siding in favor of Trump being on the ballot. Um, I think, I think that these are cheap shots to take Donald Trump to create fodder for the election, but I think it will be a very, very decisive decision because of how clear the law is. Um, Donald Trump's going to be on the ballot in all 50 states.
2: Yes, he will. Um, but then again, and you know, this better than anybody, Christina for the left, the process is the punishment. Yeah, and I've been saying this on the air everywhere and to anybody who will listen. They don't expect to win this. They know it's unconstitutional. They just don't care. They just want to harass President Trump, distract him, drain his resources, etc. And so all of this lawfare is is part of that. Um, Okay, let's talk about uh, Jack Smith. He's got two cases. One is the classified documents in Florida. The other in Washington, D.C. on the January 6th uh, so-called insurrection, even though President Trump was never charged with insurrection and survived a a bogus impeachment on this issue as well. But Jack Smith on that case wants to begin impaneling a jury and starting this the day before Super Tuesday, March 4th. And yet there have been, uh, I guess, a series of stays or at least one stay on this while this goes to the Supreme Court. Walk us through this.
4: Yeah. So you're exactly right. Jack Smith, of course, you know, it's really funny. So originally Alvin Bragg's indictment in New York was slated for uh, Super Tuesday, March 4th, I think the Monday before Super Tuesday. And then, uh, the Fannie Willis in Georgia was talking about how she wanted to have her case on Super Tuesday, but her indictment didn't come down in time. And then um, the judge in Judge Chuckkin in the Washington, D.C. January 6th case also wanted the trial to go on the Monday before Super Tuesday. So call me crazy, but it's almost like they were really honed in on that date. Um, The judge in in Washington, D.C. actually had to coordinate with the judge in New York to say, "Hey, I know that he's already scheduled for trial in New York, but can can I have that date? Will you defer to me for the you know for the Washington D.C. criminal case?" And they did. Uh, I believe the case in New York was taken off the calendar. The January sixth case was slated for the Monday before Super Tuesday, and Fannie Willis had to pick another date. Um, but so, I just wanted to point out the fact that like, oh, sure, these are just random trial dates that they all just happen to pick. The day before they election starts, to start so i think i think that is silly but as far as the january 6th case and and where it is it is stayed it stayed until the supreme court makes a ruling on the presidential immunity issue so uh president trump filed a motion or his lawyers filed a motion um saying that he should not be subject to this prosecution he was president of the united states at the time and every action that he took was within the scope of his duty as the president of the united states he saw uh oddities to say the least in the 2020 election was very concerned that there was manipulation going on and he took appropriate steps by going through appropriate channels um, to try to get to the bottom of what was going on in the election. And he he had a constitutional obligation to do that as the president of the United States. And therefore, because it was in the scope of his official duties, he is covered by presidential immunity. Um, the reason we have presidential immunity is so that you don't have one administration after another indicting the opposite you know the last president um because you want to make a political point so presidents have immunity um from anything that they do in office uh for the purpose of furthering furthering their responsibilities that case. oh sorry go ahead
2: no no go ahead finish your point please
4: uh so that that case is pending or i'm sorry that motion is um Jack Smith had wanted it to go to the Supreme Court quickly. The Supreme Court denied and said, no, we want to hear what the Court of Appeals has to say before we make our decision. So that question is pending at the Court of Appeals right now. It will be heard on, I think it's January 9th. Um, they'll make their oral argument. The, the circuit court in D.C. will uh, make their ruling. They'll render their opinion. Um, and then you know, one side or another can appeal If if President Trump loses that. Um, they can appeal on bonk for the circuit court to hear it that can be accepted or denied then it will go back up to the supreme court sorry i know this is a lot of procedure um but then at that point the supreme court will rule and then the the case can be tried not tried but rescheduled in um Judge, judge Chutkin's court I don't know if that's, sorry, that's kind of a lot. I hope that makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of bouncing around appellate yeah. courts, Supreme court and, and back again. Yeah. So um, it's not going to be tomorrow, right? It's going to take, right. it's going to take
4: a minute, which right. means so, I guess the point for what you were probably getting at is it, the case is not going to go forward the Monday before super Tuesday. It's going to take a second. Once the ruling comes out, then, um, then the court will reset a trial date. So it's not going to be the date that it's currently scheduled for.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Jack Smith asked, he went right to SCOTUS, right to the Supreme Court, and asked yeah. for an expedited review, and President Trump went back and said, wait a minute, you are circumventing the usual procedure here where there's an intermediary court called the Court of Appeals, uh, and the defendant has the right to drag it out. You know, it's it's the defendant has a right to an expedited process. Right when their freedom is hanging in the balance, like it is with a criminal uh, trial, but the government does not have a right to ask for an expedited, correct? You're so right. I'm so
4: glad that you pointed that out because it's it's so odd how all not odd. I mean, I get why they're doing it, but so many government officials are now claiming their constitutional rights. Um, Jack Smith supposedly has a constitutional right to a speedy trial. I think, I believe he or someone in his office even made that comment. It's like, no, 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 to your point, the right to a speedy trial belongs to the defendant. It doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to the defendant. The defendant has a right uh, to meaningfully participate in the preparation for his defense. It's it's the defendant who should be determining the pace of this, this case. But these government officials are turning our freedoms on its head and saying the freedoms that we the people have actually belong to the government. You've got government officials in Arizona suing Carrie Lake for defamation, government officials suing Carrie Lake for defamation saying you called me a criminal by the way I was conducting myself in office. Last I checked the right belongs, the right to free speech belongs to Carrie, not to the government. (laughs) So it's all just getting turned on its head.
2: Yeah, and it's all being done on purpose, obviously. Um, But the appellate court, then when President Trump won that point and Jack Smith lost, that the Supreme Court would not take it expedited. They wanted it to go through the process. Then that appellate court in DC, which is a radical communist left wing, um, they were like, well, okay, if we have to hear this, we're going to hear it at breakneck speed. And so it was like literally within days, it was like December 23rd, um, they wanted President Trump to respond or something within, within days, all around Christmas and New Year's, so very, very fast. And I expect them to rule against President Trump very yeah. fast, and then we'll go to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court has a huge docket, so you know they might put it on a an expedited basis, but it's still going to take them a while. So the good news is, long story short, that Jack Smith on this big case for him. Is not gonna, as you say, that this is not going to begin on March fourth. Yeah. Do you anticipate it could begin like in May or in the summer? So that's interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to see how it plays out
4: because under normal circumstances, as you pointed out, no, it wouldn't, right? Um, this the Court of Appeals should be taking longer. They should consider an en banc uh, approach, meaning the entire circuit hears it, um, and then and then it goes up to the Supreme Court. This should most appeals take years. Um and so I'll be curious to see how the Supreme Court handles it because this is very clearly a politically motivated agenda, a very politically motivated timeline. And so, you know, we have a conservative Supreme Court. I would like to think that they will um go about it in a way that is in, in the normal process. That they're not going to cater to Jack Smith like so much of the government has been doing. Um but I don't know, you know, I I have questions about the justices. And so we have not them. I mean, it's the nine Supreme Court justices, but we've seen so many judges across the country really scared to be like the sole determiner of something. And here, yeah, there's nine, but it would still be the Supreme Court that makes an outcome for this case, because if they delay it so long that Jack Smith can't get it to trial before the election, Donald Trump wins the election in a landslide. Jack Smith is trying to use this as a reason to interfere with people who want to vote for Donald Trump. And um, he can only successfully do that if he gets the case to trial before the election. So I, I'm i curiously watching that to see, because it comes down to the, the motivations of the decision makers, the judges in these cases
2: yeah and so many of these judges are are corrupt blatantly political i mean our our entire judicial system i mean you've got a few judges who actually come to work and do their jobs honestly but not in many of these trump cases one of them though is the judge in florida amy uh, what is her name Ramani. Cannon? Judge, judge Cannon. Cannon. correct yeah. yes thank you talk to us a little bit about that case that is a classified documents case in florida she is overseeing that and she has expressed skepticism about doing that doing yeah. this and getting this process done this year but she scheduled i think tentatively for the trial to begin in early may is that right uh,
4: i believe that was the original trial date yes i think that date has also been stayed so that will probably also get kicked down the road because because that case involves classified documents Um, the sides need time to get clearances. you know, the defense needs time to get clearances and have an opportunity to actually take a look at the information and all that. And they filed that motion saying like, we haven't even had time to see what the government's talking about. Um, so I, I believe, and I'm not quite, I'm, I'm a witness in that case. So I, I'm not really on the inside as to, um, what's happening with it, but, um, other, other than publicly, I don't know where the attorneys are in the process. You know, what, what access they have to it or anything. Um, but that case, isn't it funny how that case really isn't in the news as much. It was all about classified documents, classified documents, and now that they have a judge who's actually applying the law and is going to consider, you know, true legal motions and actually give Donald Trump a fair criminal procedure in accordance with due process. Nobody wants to talk about it anymore,
2: right? Um, so, yeah, no, we'll that's see. right. Including Jack Smith, not yeah. leaving on that case because he knows he's probably going to hit a wall there. I mean, yeah. so many of these cases are unraveling because it's all based on BS. And not the law. And it's clear to most Americans, I I think, that all of this is just blatantly political. But it's redounding to President Trump's benefit because people who may not even like President Trump are going, you know, first of all, he gave us a booming economy, an enforced border and world peace. Secondly, What is it about him that makes him so much of a threat to the system that they are throwing everything they've got at him? So this is all backfiring. Um, Let me ask you, Christina, the Georgia case, you know, for a long time, people have said that is the sleeper case, right? Like that's the case that's going to do him in. It's not Jack Smith or any of the, the rest of it. Maybe not even New York in that case, that civil case, but it's Georgia and Stacey Abrams and Fannie Willis. Can you talk to us about where we are in that? Um, I don't think that
4: will even get to trial before the election. She has 19 defendants and they have, and she wants them all tried at the same time. And unfortunately for her, all 19 have a right to due process. Yeah, some of them have pled guilty and, you know, there's been some process. But whenever you bring a case with that many defendants, it's going to take a while. So, um, I, one, I, I don't necessarily think that case will go to trial before the election. Maybe, we'll see. Um, you know, they're trying to jam it through. But if any of the cases are going to get uh significantly delayed i would assume it would be that one just by the sheer number of defendants um but i think that case is is closely tied with jack smith they're largely the same set of facts and i in jack smith's case will i assume be heard first depending on what happens with the supreme court and how long that takes um and i think once jack smith loses i think fanny willis is gonna lose the wind in her sails um so Maybe the thing I don't I don't particularly think Fannie Willis is particularly threatening. I do think she's probably coordinating with Jack Smith. We see her going up to D.C. all the time for fundraisers Mm -hmm. and that. So, um, so I think there is some level of coordination there. But I don't think she herself is necessarily um, savvy enough to uh, process the case uh, in a you know execute what they're trying to accomplish in the amount of time needed. Um, but it remains to be seen the, the only case that I'm like kind of looking at, like, what are they going to, what are they going to do with this This is the Jack Smith case in Washington, DC. I think that's Mm -hmm. the one that I think that's the one that I think, um, is the most significant.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And and probably the most dangerous, uh, for sure. So, yeah, look, the Supreme Court hates political cases. <laughs> they really do. They, they just want to tear their hair out at this point, because once again, they're going to be called to weigh in on all of these uh, cases, and they're going to be criticized as being political. But actually, the Supreme Court Will apply, apply yeah. the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the rule of law in these cases. And, you know, it's the left bringing these cases. So the Supreme Court yeah. can thank the left for putting them in this position.
4: Well, I completely agree. I think that's right um even the conservatives on the court you know conservatives have just gotten so comfortable just letting the left be crazy and letting them just like oh look at those crazy democrats you know and not actually giving any pushback for anything that they're doing um this the whole point of the supreme court is to make the hard decisions if you don't want to make the hard decisions if you're going to squirm and get awkward uh anytime we actually need you know the weight of the united States government. Um, to come in and actually make a good decision on behalf of the American people, then get off the bench. You know what I mean? Why are you there? And I'm sorry, this is just my frustration because it's so clear that there's so many judges across the country. They're like, well, I don't want to make the hard decisions. That's why you're there. That's why you're in the robe. That's why you get the title. That's why you get the esteem that you get as a judge, because Americans need you to make the hard decisions. We're not asking you to make the easy calls. Anybody can make the easy calls.
2: Anyway, that's my thought. Yes. Good rant, Kristen. Good rant. Sorry about that. No, no, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you did it. It's a really, really important set of points that you just made. Um, Before we let you go, let's talk about election integrity You wrote a book, came out last year, Stealing Your Vote, The Inside Story of the 2020 Election and What It Means for 2024. Uh, I just spent a good deal of time talking about Catherine Engelbrook and Truth of Vote and their persistence in in winning this court case in Georgia, where citizens do, it was affirmed, citizens have a right to question their elections and bring legal cases when they believe that there's actual fraud. Um, And thank God for that, that decision. It's basic common sense. What can you tell us about what the Trump campaign, what the Trump team, what uh, state-by-state GOP organizations are doing to make sure that we don't have a repeat of 2020? Well, there's a lot. Thank God. There's a lot of
4: great organizations across the country. I'm fortunate enough to be in contact with many of them, um, grassroots organizations in the local communities. Um, to scrub voter rolls, to issue FOIA requests or open records requests, uh, call the county clerks, call the people in charge of elections in your county, um, there's phenomenal grassroots efforts across the country, and this has to be a bottom-up approach. So people need to get involved in a local level, at your county level, in a precinct level. Uh, the Trump campaign can do some things as far as probably the biggest thing that the Trump campaign can do is bring awareness, right? Just talk about it so that people recognize it's a problem because it, this has to be cleaned up county by county. This is not something that you can have one person, you know, make a wish and it all goes away. It has to be cleaned up county by county. So I'd encourage all of your listeners to find a group in your local area and get involved. We need people. We need election workers. We need people actually who work at the counties, um, volunteers, You know, uh, people scrubbing voter rolls, canvassing your neighborhoods. If you don't know how to get involved, there's a group called Cause of America. That's uh, C-A-U-S-E. Go to causeofamerica.org, O-R-G, causeofamerica.org. Um, and you can just send them an email, or, or you know, type in your zip code and say who is doing stuff in my area, and they'll just send you a list of uh, conservative election groups that um, are working in your area, and you can get in touch with them and, and get involved. So I would encourage everyone. We need everyone doing that.
2: Yes, amen to that. And I've been saying that too. That anybody, I don't care. Where you live, or what your skill set is, or what your financial resources are, get involved. It, it can cost you nothing to get involved and make sure in your community, which is where th- this fraud happens. I mean, it happens yeah. in the suburbs of Philadelphia and and the inner city of Philadelphia. It happens, you know, Fulton County outside of Atlanta, outside yep. Detroit, in the in these cities as well. So, you know, please donate your time. Um, if you're a lawyer, donate your expertise, uh, be yes. a poll watcher, you know, step up, but get involved now because we only have 10 months to straighten out this entire situation. So we're not talking about election lawsuits like True the Votes, yeah. in, you know, in December of this year. I don't want to be right. talking about any election lawsuits, Christina. I want to talk about we won fair yes. and square. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited
4: to talk to you uh, in 2025. And you know, jumping up and down, excited that Donald Trump's back in office.
2: Absolutely. Amen to that. Well, keep up the great work for him and for the country. Christina, you are amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Big show today, guys. Thank you so much for being here as always and for checking out our terrific sponsors. Next week, huge shows. Caitlyn Jenner will be here, and Dr. Naomi Wolf on Dr. Anthony Fauci. They will both be here, and I cannot wait for those conversations. They are going to be huge. So make sure you tell everybody you know about the Monica Crowley podcast, all of your friends, family, colleagues, uh, people on the street people in the grocery store, as you're paying 30 bucks for a carton of eggs, you say, hey, are you annoyed at paying $30 for a carton of eggs? Well, then you got to listen to the Monica Crowley podcast because she speaks the truth. So, appreciate you guys. Have a great weekend, and I will see you right back here next week for these major shows. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behackel Entertainment, LLC.